This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I've heard that message from different people in different ways all along. Either this can't be done, or you shouldn't do this, or this is too big of a problem to solve, or nobody could pull that off. I think so many times I've been delivered that message that finally one day I just said, enough. I believe in this idea. I think it can work, even though nobody else thinks it can. And I just set out to do it. Welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Claire Hatton. And I'm Greta Thomas. We're here to share fascinating stories and advice from innovative and pioneering women around the globe. If you're enjoying our podcast, why not follow us on Instagram, where we post daily? You'll find us if you search for Don't Stop Us Now podcast. And now for this week's episode. Hello, boy, do we have a treat in store for you today. Our guest is Navin Salem and what she's achieved in her incredible quest to end malnutrition has inspired and moved Greta and I enormously. It certainly has. Navin is living proof that experience isn't necessary to achieve, but determination and passion are. From her background in marketing, with no international aid or development experience, Naven was told over and over that she'd never succeed when she shared her vision to build a factory to manufacture a food supplement that could drastically change the lives of children with malnutrition in the developing world. Unfortunately for the world... She chose to ignore those warnings and forged ahead with her calling to set up her not-for-profit, Adesia Nutrition. Since then, Naven and her team have helped 7 million malnourished children in 51 countries. It hasn't been easy, but Naven is not someone who likes to give up easily. She's certainly not. In this episode, you'll hear Naven speak inspiringly about how she was never afraid to ask for help the importance of being curious and getting outside of one's bubble to learn new perspectives, her belief that being a female CEO should never be something unusual and how she's encouraging her four daughters to be fearless in their pursuit of leadership and the life-changing stories of the impact of the nutritional supplement Plumpy Nut that Naven makes and how it inspires her every day. We just loved this conversation with Naven, didn't we? Yeah, we really did. She's one of those people who's clearly amazing, but also just so down to earth and real. So without further ado, enjoy this episode with the incredible Naven Salem. Naven, welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. Thanks for having me. You do such incredible things with Adesia, the organization you've built. How did it all start? 
Well, it started about 11 years ago. And at the time, I had a one-year-old, a two-year-old, and six-year-old twins. And while I didn't have a lot of time to do things other than change diapers and do laundry and wash bottles, I had a lot of time to think. And one of the places that my mind would always wander off to is Tanzania. And the reason that is is because my dad is originally from Tanzania, as well as my grandparents and great-grandparents. And so that's a part of the world that I had traveled to in the past and always thought that at some point in my life, I would love to be able to go back there and look for a way to contribute. And so that's kind of what I did 11 years ago as I jumped in an airplane and went on a trip to see what was going on in East Africa. Wow. So the one-year-old, the two-year-old and the six-year-old twins, they presumably stayed home while you went investigating. Yes. And my husband definitely accused me of being desperate and trying to get sleep, which maybe was partly true. It was, uh, I didn't sleep (laughs) a lot back then. And so the idea of getting on a plane and having, you know, two weeks to myself was quite luxurious at the time. I imagine that is quite a a thing to do. What was the trigger to actually get you on a plane at that point in your life? You know, I really wanted to just explore and see what was going on in the ground. I remembered my first trip to Tanzania was right after I graduated from college, and I went on a trip with my dad. And I remember being overwhelmed with the amount of problems that they were struggling with, from clean water to education to HIV. I mean, the list was really, really endless. And at the time, having just graduated from college, it wasn't really the right time for me to like pick up and and move to another country and do something about it. And so I made sure to really file a lot of the ideas that I had. And I needed to go get a a job first and, and learn some basic skills before I felt like I could get back to something like this. And so I worked in in the corporate world for an internet company doing marketing, advertising and communications and things like that, and really gained a bunch of business experience prior to feeling like I had some basis for potentially attempting to go back and, and see if there's a way that that I could find something that really wasn't being talked about. That's what I was in search of is, okay, a lot of these issues we hear about a lot, and there's a lot of people doing work, great work around it. But there was this one issue about malnutrition that I learned about that was giant, and there was nobody really doing anything about it. And so that's where I thought, okay, maybe this is a space where we need to draw attention to the issues and and do something about it. And what had you imagined you would end up doing work-wise when you were a child? (laughs) I wanted to be an architect, but one day my mom took me to have a test. And she said, this is going to test you on what you are good at and maybe what you're not good at. And so they asked me that question. I said, I want to be an architect. And I took the test and they said, you're going to be a terrible architect. You should put that idea out of your mind. And so I was quite defeated. And my my dream of of building houses was gone. I mean, I thought, I think just anything kind of creative, maybe it would be designing clothes or something that would allow me to be creative. And actually, in business, it does require a lot of creativity. And when people walk into our factory, it's never what they're expecting. They're like, wow, where did this design come from? And and the feel and all the things that we have going on in the factory that I wish you could see and I wish you could visit allowed me to use that desire to design in a very different way. And so I don't think I ever, ever thought that I would be doing what what I'm doing now, even as a child. Never. 
Wow. That's actually really incredible, isn't it? That an exam or a test told you that you couldn't be something. You know, I hated that, that that test was supposed to tell me what to do. Because I think in the rest of my life, I've heard that message from different people in different ways all along. Either this can't be done, or you shouldn't do this, or this is too big of a problem to solve, or nobody could pull that off. I think so many times I've been delivered that message that finally one day I just said, enough. I believe in this idea. I think it can work, even though nobody else thinks it can. And I just set out to do it. And it's funny, I remember having a conversation with people who had been in the nonprofit business for probably 25 years. And I told them that I had this idea to start a factory that can create a product that would be able to treat malnutrition. And they said, it will never work. It will never work. And so for 24 hours, I was really, really depressed and said, I'm going to have to start over. And then all of a sudden, I had this revelation and I said, you know what? Maybe they've been in the business too long. And maybe their 25 years experience versus my 25 minutes of experience, maybe I can actually bring something new to the table simply because I don't have that experience. And so with that, I decided to move forward, not listen to anyone else's warnings and just get started. Wow, that's so fantastic. To get started must have been quite tricky in terms of, you know, where do you start? One of the the ways that I figured out this concept of social enterprise, which at the time I didn't even know what the word social enterprise meant, I had gone around Tanzania looking at very traditional projects like water and and education and things like that. And I said to the people who were with me, I said, you know, I've heard a factory in Arusha, Tanzania, and I want to go and visit. And they said, oh, no, 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 you don't want to go and see that. And I, I kept begging and begging. And finally, they let me go and have a visit. And I was just curious because I I heard that they were creating a lot of jobs and I wanted to see what was going on there. And so basically this factory existed to make mosquito nets. And at the same time, they were employing women on a really large scale. So I went into this factory floor and there were 3,000 women sitting there. And what struck me was that, first of all, they're all earning paychecks, which means they're able to provide for their families. And never will be needing aid because they're able to earn money. But they also happen to be making something that solved a major global health problem in malaria. And I thought the combination of that job creation and solving a large health problem like that was a really brilliant business model. And that's really the idea that I stole and said, you know, we've got to model it after this, but what's not being done at the moment? And so that's where we kind of put in malnutrition instead of malaria and said, if we can make something that can help prevent and help treat malnutrition, and we can also create jobs in Tanzania and other countries like that, then maybe it's a win-win. Fortunately, I did a little research and realized that there was this product called Plumpy Nut, and it was developed in France by a company called Nutriset. And, you know, I don't have a manufacturing background or a nonprofit background. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nutritionist. I was going to need a little bit of help to be able to pull this off. And actually, my first factory was in Tanzania. So, you know, having the resume to start a business in a manufacturing company in Tanzania, I don't think anybody had that. So it was really necessary for me to find partners who would help me figure out how we could pull this off. 
So we set up and we submitted a grant application, you know, so, you know, they said, we can't guarantee obviously that you're going to win, but please, you know, know that we are looking for an organization like this. So we, we wrote a whole proposal and they asked every question under the sun, except do you have a factory? (laughs) And so here we are writing this proposal in my spare bedroom that I'm in right now. We wrote this giant proposal, and at the same time, we were starting to build a factory. But when they gave out the awards, we found out we were a winner. And we're like, oh, my God, you know, now we need to make sure we have this operational. So we had a a ribbon cutting, and the U.S. government decides to come to our ribbon cutting, along with the New York Times, who we didn't even invite. They somehow found us. So we have all these important people in the room, and we had never made Plumpy Nut yet. (laughs) And so I was like, guys, so the ribbon cutting was on a Monday, and I'm like, we have to work all weekend. We have to make something. And I said, and if you can't make peanut butter, get in those packets, package air, and pretend that you are making Plumpy Nut. And so literally, I come on the tour with the New York Times and USAID, and I'm pretending that I give these tours every single day, like on the hour. And we're passing by, looking through the windows, and they're actually making Plumpy Nut for the first time. So they saw it the first time that I saw it. And I'm like, yes, this is just what we do. Isn't it great? And when they turn their heads, I'm like applauding, you know, the the guys, you know, like, you did it. You did it. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) So we definitely have a lot of funny startup stories. What a great story. And now probably feels like a good time to me to sort of put the the perspective of the problem that you're trying to solve into the picture here. So just give us a quick snapshot of how serious an issue or not malnutrition is today and, and what you guys do towards solving that. Yeah. So at the time, 10 or so years ago, when I first got started, malnutrition was killing 5 million children a year under the age of five. And to me, that sounded shocking. That was more than AIDS, TB, and malaria combined at the time. And yet no one was talking about it. And what I realized is you don't need to be a doctor. You don't need to invest in a giant research project to figure out how to fix that. It's simply a lack of access to food and nutrition. And that children were dying from something that simple was completely heartbreaking to me. The way I saw it is we just needed to create some action. We needed to create awareness that this problem existed and that there was a solution for it. That number has been trending downwards over the last decade. And while, of course, the goal is to have zero, we are now at three million. So, you know, deleted two million is trending definitely in the right direction. And I certainly don't take credit for all of that. But we, Adesia and, and the products that we make are definitely a part of that number trending in the right direction, which is good to see that, you know, the work that we're all doing collectively is able to have a measurable impact. And even beyond that, if you look just at a single child, recently I was in Uganda in a malnutrition clinic. And um, so the product that we make is called Plumpy Nut. And that's basically a mixture of peanuts, milk powder, sugar, vegetable oil, vitamins, and minerals. A box of Plumpy Nut is about 150, 100 gram packets. And children are supposed to eat this basically as a full meal replacement. It's like a food by prescription. And so they might eat this three times a day, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And over a matter of six or seven weeks, you see this transformation that is incredible to see. 
And when I happened to be in this clinic in Uganda, I saw the whole process kind of right in front of me. On one side, I had a mother who just brought her 15-month-old in, and he was so weak that he didn't have the strength to open his eyes, and he was trying to cry, and he couldn't get a cry out. It was like the smallest little noise. And so we're trying to weigh him and measure him and assess to see if he is severely malnourished, which of course he was. He was only weighing slightly more than a newborn that would be born in the U.S. On the other side of the clinic, I saw a little girl coming in and she was there to pick up her last week's supply of Plumpy Nut. This girl was running around and being feisty and sassy and all the things that you want an 18-month or two-year-old to have. And I just sat there looking at this one coming in one side of the clinic and the other one leaving on the other side and saying one box or $50 or a six to seven week treatment can make that change. It's incredible. Like you cannot even believe it. And when you see these kids before and after, you cannot recognize that it's the same child. It's, it's almost impossible. And so the ability to see this just happen to one or two kids and see how happy the mothers are to see such a transformation in their children is the most amazing thing you could ever witness. And is that the kind of image that you thought of when you, you were navigating all of these incredible roadblocks and no's and your team as well, for that matter? For sure. I mean, I remember on that first, first trip to Tanzania, I remember going into a hospital in Dar es Salaam and I remember spending time in the malnutrition ward and there was a mother and a baby, and I didn't even see them. I, I just heard them around the corner, and she had just lost her child. And I heard her screaming, crying, wailing, piercing, like nothing I had ever heard before. And I knew it was the sound of a mother losing their her child. And I thought, here I am in this crazy world that is unfamiliar to me, and I am unarmed. I am not ready for this because I don't have a solution. And so it was a very, very powerful emotional moment. And then I said, okay, you need to go and do your homework. You need to figure this out so that next time you come, that's not the reaction that you hear. Turn this around. Bring something that can provide hope, a solution that can provide life. And every time that I've been traveling since then, I have been fortunate enough to see those positive outcomes over and over and over again. That's incredible. And it's also, though, so inspiring, Navin, that when you were confronted with that moment of utter despair, you were able to think about how do I solve this constructively and not be swept up in that that moment. And I know from the times that I've spent in Africa in HIV and AIDS clinics and everything, sometimes it feels like, you know, there is a, a tide of despair. What's your advice to others when it comes to them encountering severe roadblocks or setbacks, what are the tools that you use to convert that into constructive thoughts and action like that? For me, it's it's not an option to have any other outcome except success because every day we have life and death at our fingertips. And if we're not able to come up with a solution, then there can be lives at risk. And so for us, it's just, it's a no brainer that we have to come up with things to solve the problem. You know, for other people, I mean, if, if it's something that you're passionate about, 
then the problem solving just almost becomes irrelevant. It's just, it's just something that has to be done. And you, and you start to not even think about it and just do, you know, and I think that's the important thing is, is the doing, not worrying, not talking about it, but just start, start by doing something and see what works and make adjustments that you go. But really that ability to take action is, I think, what the, the most important component is. No, but I love that thought around moving to action because that's something that we really very much believe in at Don't Stop Us Now, that action breeds confidence. But when you are moving to action, you know, it's quite hard to move to action. And often if you don't have the relevant experience or you don't feel like you've got the relevant experience, it can hold you back. What are some things that you think can help people think about this differently? I think that there really are very few people who have the resume to be able to start their own business or follow their dreams or their ideas. And that should never, ever hold anybody back. I think that there's by far the majority of us don't have the skills. What you need is the great idea and the excitement that you feel when you come up with an idea like that and the passion around it that gives you the energy and the drive to do whatever it takes. At the early days, I would ask anybody I could find for help, any friend who walked by until they were completely sick of hearing from me looking for advice, you know, and then as we were able to get this idea to take off and that, you know, I always believed in hiring people who are smarter than I am. And building a team of experts slowly, you know, I tried to manage and do as many things as possible. But eventually, you know, we had to hire someone who had an engineering background and someone who knew about quality and logistics and procurement. And clearly one person was not able to to manage all of those things. What are some of the things you're working on now for the future, Adesia? Over the years, I've had lots of friends and family say, can I have some plumpy nuts because I have my friend has cancer and is going through chemo or I have an elderly parent who doesn't want to eat anymore or whatever. So many different reasons that people have come. And so, you know, plumpy nut is not exactly the right thing for, for many reasons for those conditions that, that I just talked about. And so I thought someday I would love to build the capacity to be able to have an innovation center in our factory. And so we just built a new factory about two years ago. And in there also is a test kitchen and a research and development pilot production line. So basically we can make new ideas in a really small scale, like in a blender. And then if we taste it and we like it and we think it's a good idea, we can actually manufacture it on a small scale. And so one of those first ideas is now for sale on Amazon in, in the U.S., and it's called Little Nut. And Little Nut, so what we're trying to do is create a line of foods that has purpose. And by that, I mean you're not going to buy it just because you're hungry. There's an actual reason that you need to buy it. And so there's that purpose for yourself, for the consumer, but then also 100% of proceeds go to Odysseus. That will help us, hopefully, if it's successful, give us a pot of money that when the next call comes in for emergency help, we're able to fund something like that really quickly. So Little Nut's purpose is to prevent peanut allergies, which is a huge problem in the United States mm -hmm. and other developed countries as well. And it's really been an epidemic. It sounds as if you're 
you're learning and evolving all the time as a leader. And you've got these amazing people that can help you learn about their experiences in the countries that they have come from. But how do you actually keep learning? Well, I think I neglected to say, you know, when we're starting this little nut, it's basically a consumer packaged goods company, right? A consumer brand. I have no idea how to do any of this. So we, we only know how to sell peanut butter in million dollar increments. Now we're selling, trying to sell it for $6 or $20. And like literally we, we don't even know how to do that. We're like, how do we get it to Amazon? Do we put it in a truck? Do we drive it ourselves? Where does it go? How do we know? Who do we ask? And so it's like starting all over again. I was standing in my warehouse today and we have just rows and aisles and aisles of plumpy nuts stacked all the way to the sky. And then there's this one pallet space that houses all of the little nut that we have. It's like the tiniest little little uh-huh. thing. And I was like, well, here's the eight-year-old business over here. And here's the four-month-old business. And we'll see which ones grow and, and take off. But I don't mind learning on the go. I'm not shy to ask stupid questions to figure out the answer. And now we are actually hiring people who do know what they're doing just this week, in fact, because I think it is important at some point to bring people on who, who do have experience in where you're trying to go. But to get started, you know, we just keep doing that and, and starting over again, like literally starting from scratch again. But even that, it just gives me so much energy to see where it goes. Like it's so exciting every day to just check the sales and to see that people I don't know are buying this product. It's really quite amazing to me. You're a mother of four girls. How on earth do you juggle all of the things that you've got to do? There's the business, it has a factory, there's a new business, you have a family. How do you think about that? There's a couple things. So one is the nice thing about being the boss is you can make up your own hours. I change my hours every year depending on what my girls' schedules are. So currently that means I leave the office by three. And I want to make sure that I'm home for them to eat dinner with them, to go watch their soccer game, spend time with them. And that is very important to me because I know they won't be here forever and they need their mom around. So and I have the flexibility to do that. And yes, maybe I can't get as much done in my day if I stayed until six, but I don't care. So I have to prioritize very carefully so that every minute of my day is used effectively And so if a meeting goes on too long, I get easily, I want to be out of there because I know I only have a few hours in the day. The other thing I can do with my kids is drag them around with me. So tomorrow they're all coming to the factory to work. They have regular jobs that they know how to do. And then I have a few special projects for them tomorrow. And I also drag them to the field with me. And while all they want to do is go on normal vacations like you know, mom, why can't we go to Florida like everybody else for spring break? And instead, you want to take us to Guatemala and Sierra Leone. And we don't want to go there. We want to go to Florida like everyone else. And I said, well, there's one really important reason why we can't go to Florida. I said, and that is because you won't remember it. You won't remember what beach you were on. You won't remember what you did there. But if I take you to Sierra Leone, I guarantee you You will come home with a lot of stories and you will never, ever forget the things that you saw, the people that you met. And that's what I want you to take with you. And for the first time this summer, they said, Mom, can we go to Sierra Leone? And I looked at them like, excuse me, are these the same children from from last year? 
And they finally realized like how much they actually enjoy that experience of being near the kids and hugging those kids, holding their hands and being with them. And so I love that that transition has started to happen on their own now for the first time. That's amazing. What kind of example do you hope your daughters are seeing in you? I always want to lead by example. And maybe I've gone to extremes in starting Indicia to be able to prove that point. And since I have four girls, I always thought it was very important for me to demonstrate many things to them. You know, why are they studying so hard in school? Well, because I want you to be ready to think big, to figure out how you want to make an impact in your own way. It doesn't need to be my way at all. To know that you should be, you hope to be passionate about something, that you should always be curious and asking questions, asking why, asking how. Also, I remember when they were little and one time they came with me and they said, Mom, are you the boss of all of these people? And I said, yes, yes, I am. And they, they were so small. They must have, the twins must have been only eight. And I said, I'm so glad they're asking this question now because they won't remember asking me this question. And I don't want them to ever think about a woman being a CEO as something unusual. It should be completely as normal as anything can be. Because that's where I want them to be fearless in their pursuit of leadership as they grow older. And so if I can demonstrate them by this is my every day, then that message has gotten through to them. I remember I gave a commencement address a couple of weeks ago and my daughters were in, in the crowd and one of them said afterwards, she goes, I could do that. I could see myself up there. I could do that. And I was like, perfect. That's exactly yeah. what I wanted to hear is not, oh my God, how did you speak in front of 5,000 people? It was, I can do that too. And so I think it's working. Some days I think it's working. Other days I'm as disastrous as can be and frustrated like all moms are. So I'm not trying to make it sound like we're all perfect. We are far from it. But there are these little bits where I see, aha, I've gotten through to you. And so hopefully you, you will always remember those, those moments. Uh, it's brilliant. So what advice would you have for young working women who are juggling this hectic life and trying to be the role model that they want to be for their sons and daughters? I think what I see is some of the hardest thing for people to figure out is finding what their passion is. And I think that, you know, it comes to people at different times in their life. If you haven't found one at this particular moment, it's okay. Hopefully life is a long journey and you really have to wait. You can't force it, right? You have to wait for, for the moment where something strikes you that makes you passionate enough that you're willing to spend every minute trying to, to work on it. And so, you know, I think sometimes when I speak with college students, you know, they want to do everything right now. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. you don't, you don't have to do everything this minute. You know, but that going back to that, like being curious and not being afraid to explore outside of your bubble and seeing what's really going on. And that can be as close to home as in your own community. In this concept of being proximate in spaces that maybe at first you might feel a little bit uncomfortable, 
in order to uncover what's really going on in, in your community or in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I really like the point you make about traveling. And it doesn't have to be to Africa. You know, it could be to another suburb and actually just being curious and meeting people and experiencing life differently and seeing different perspectives. It's so important. Yeah. It shapes your values, your priorities, how you start to spend your time, helps you know what's what's important and keep perspective, see the big picture, all of those things. You know, when you can easily get overwhelmed, it ju- it just helps you, you know, kind of step back and understand, you know, what's a big problem, what's a little problem and and how to deal with it. And if you look back, you know, what advice would you give your 30-year-old self? <laughs> when I was 30, twin, twins were probably two, and I couldn't even get to the grocery store and back without <laughs> being insane. I don't even think I could hear if I was giving advice. I probably would would be so sleep deprived I wouldn't even hear what I was saying. Even at 30, I don't think I knew it was possible. And sometimes when I walk through the factory, especially if it's late and there's it's quiet and there's no one there, I look around and think, how the heck did this all happen? How did this happen? And I can't even really believe it myself with the scale and the size of the team and the, and just the, the building itself and being surrounded by these boxes that will deliver life. I don't think I ever would have believed it was possible. Navin, thank you so much. It has been such a joy to be able to explore the amazing journey that you've been on and to learn about the incredible things that you and your Odysseus team are achieving. Now, if our listeners would like to find out more, maybe even donate or get in touch with you, how would they do that? Yeah. So the best thing to, to do is to go to our website, which is adesianutrition.org. And Adesia is E-D-E-S-I-A. So adesianutrition.org. You can donate there. You can learn more about us. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram and keep track of exciting things that we're up to and what we have in the future. So we'd love to continue to grow our community and have supporters and and people interested in, in the work that we do. Fantastic. Well, we'll make sure that we create those links on our website so people can find you very easily. We have so enjoyed every step of the way of this interview. Thank you again for your time and generosity. We really wish you luck in your very big vision for Odysseus. Thank you. It was great talking with you both. I have to say, every time I listen to that interview, I'm more inspired by Navin's story. It's just so huge what she's achieved, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It makes me smile that sometimes she's just as surprised as others about what Odyssey is achieving. I know, it's classic. And yet what she and her team have achieved is incredible. What I loved is the way Naven's so positive with her perspectives. You know, instead of yielding to those who told her she couldn't do it when she was setting out, she chose to reframe that by saying to herself, my lack of experience allows me to bring something new to the table. That takes real courage and strength. Yeah, and it's smart too. Absolutely. The other thing that blew me away about Naven was how she talked about being a role model to her girls. 
Can you imagine how powerful it must be for them watching and learning from their mother and seeing that it's completely doable to be a CEO or to make a commencement speech, not to mention making a difference to the lives of others? For sure. She is a real inspiration. And on that note, that's episode 17, Done and Dusted. We'll be back in two weeks' time when we'll be speaking to the innovator and pioneer of Burns Treatments, a former Australian of the Year, Dr Fiona Wood. See you then. Ciao for now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.